A crisis is looming on the horizon for many New Yorkers, that of eviction. In 2020, many people lost their jobs due to the pandemic and resulting lockdown. Job losses lead to an inability to afford housing or pay the rent, which leads to eviction. That threatens to overwhelm homeless shelters, food pantries, and schools. Homelessness in New York has been on the rise since the Great Depression of the 1930s. In November 2020, there were over 57,000 homeless people, including 18,000 homeless children, sleeping each night in the New York City Municipal Shelter System. However, there is no accurate measurement of New York City's unsheltered homeless population, those who sleep on the city's streets, in the subway system, and in other public spaces. A rough estimate has that every night, nearly 4,000 people sleep on the street or other public spaces. The primary cause of homelessness, particularly among families, is lack of affordable housing. Surveys of homeless families have identified the following major, immediate triggering causes of homelessness. Eviction, doubled up or severely overcrowded housing, domestic violence, job loss and hazardous housing conditions. Research shows that, compared to homeless families, homeless single adults have much higher rates of serious mental illness addiction disorders, and other severe health problems. Studies also show that the large majority of street homeless New Yorkers are people living with mental illness or other severe health problems. New York City is the only U.S. city with a year-round right to shelter mandating that the city must find a bed for each person in need. People cannot be turned away from full shelters and the city even rents hotel rooms to accommodate spillover. Which is what they did in 2020. New Yorkers of color and people living with disabilities are among those experiencing homelessness. 86% of homeless single adults and 93% of heads of household in family shelters identify as black or Hispanic. An estimated 78% of adult families, 67% of single adults, and 51% of families with children have a disability or condition that may require an accommodation to ensure they have meaningful access to shelters and services. In today's episode, which is broken into two parts, I meet with Giselle Routhier, Policy Director of the Coalition for the Homeless, the nation's oldest advocacy and direct service organization helping homeless women, men and children. For 40 years, the Coalition for the Homeless has developed and implemented humane, cost-effective strategies to end mass homelessness in New York City. Hi, Giselle. Welcome to Heroes of New York. Thank you for having me. Giselle, you work for Coalition of the Homeless, and it does such a lot of important work. And during 2020, a lot of people probably become homeless or face charges of eviction, which I know for now is temporarily banned. Based on your experience, how was 2020? 2020 was a nightmare for a lot of folks, particularly folks who are homeless, as it was for a lot of us, including folks who've been housed. So I think what we've seen, we've seen a few prominent things happen in 2020, particularly for folks who are homeless. And one of those things that we've seen in New York City is a huge increase in the number of folks who are homeless, homelessness among single adults. And we've also seen an increased sort of desperation for folks on the streets as places they may have normally accessed for basic resources like restrooms and food and clothing have closed. At the same time, we're seeing like a really appending crisis among families as evictions have generally been stalled. 
a lot of folks have lost income. And so we're awaiting what new horrors face us in 2021, particularly for families. But for the single adults that have become homeless this year, we're talking about a lot of folks who were restaurant workers, day laborers, folks who had inconsistent and really low incomes, a lot of folks who were renting rooms on a weekly basis, maybe didn't have a lease in their name and were immediately displaced after they lost their income. And so we saw a lot of those folks on the streets through one of the programs that we run, which is a food program where we go out and hand out food throughout New York City. And so we're able to talk one-on-one with folks and get that feedback about what's happening. And that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. In terms of demographic breakout, are homeless men more in number than women? Yes. When we're talking about single adults, there are far more homeless single men than homeless single women. But when we're talking about families, far more families headed by single women than by men. Mm -hmm. And can that be attributed to domestic violence? Domestic violence is a big portion of it. One of the leading causes of homelessness for families with children, which is oftentimes a single mother with children, is domestic violence. And so that's one of the primary reasons that folks are becoming homeless is escaping from domestic violence and not having the economic resources to get a new place. And so families are displaced. They end up homeless as a result of that. And so that is and has been for a while one of the prominent reasons that families become homeless. Mm -hmm. Do you have numbers about of the number of people you've helped in 2020? We've served an extraordinary number of people this year. I mean, one of our kind of one of the programs that's been most impacted by the work that we do at the Coalition for the Homeless is our Grand Central Food Program. And that's a mobile soup kitchen where we go out every single night. We have three vans. They do uh, specific routes in Manhattan and the Bronx and stop all over the city and hand out hot meals to folks on the streets. And we've seen, particularly right after the pandemic began, a huge increase in demand for food, for clothing, for basic necessities. And so we've ramped up efforts on that program in a staggering way. And even now, we continue to see a much greater need on that program. And likewise, with some of our other programs, we have a crisis intervention program where we see We used to, pre-pandemic, see people in person with all manner of issues that they were facing with access to shelter or eviction prevention or eligibility problems for the shelter system or for access to benefits. And we've shifted to a hotline where people can call now and try to get their problems solved over the phone with one of our case managers. But we've also continued to see a steady stream of folks through that program who are struggling to access shelter if they've already become homeless, who are worried about staving off eviction, and people who are in the shelter system and who are worried about the coronavirus and the spread and whether or not they've been exposed and how the city is going to keep them safe. And so it's been a lot of reworking and making sure we're meeting people's needs in a new way, Mm -hmm. as a lot of folks have done Mm post-crisis. So for the people that you provide shelters or housing, what are the challenges that you face in terms of the number of people that you can put in the same building, especially in 2020, and any challenges or risks these groups faced? Even just as an agency, logistical challenges that I think many other folks have faced as well, moving to more virtual services. At the same time, we do serve a population that's very hard to reach. And a lot of folks who don't have smartphones are unable to get on platforms like Zoom. And so we do have our office open for a limited number of folks to come in. And so we're not neglecting the folks who are most in need. And we're still able to see people in person 
at a reduced capacity with all the appropriate PPE in place, that's been a challenge. But I think another sort of broader challenge is just a lack of government resources. And this has been an issue since even longer prior to the pandemic beginning, but access to housing for folks. I mean, this is at both the city level, the state level, the federal level. We're not providing enough housing for the poorest Americans. And that's in the form of housing subsidy vouchers. That's in the form of building new housing, creating supportive housing for people with serious mental illness and other disabilities, all of those resources we need. And I think the pandemic has just sort of laid bare how critical those resources are and how they can actually keep people safe and save lives in a situation like this. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to ailments, mental and physical, what are the services that you provide in terms of counseling or medical services to these people? We have um, a variety of direct service programs, some of which are targeted towards children, some of which are targeted towards adults. But we do have some programs that are specifically targeted to folks who have a serious mental illness or who have been homeless for a long time. And one of our programs there specifically helps people apply for SSI and apply for supportive housing. And so we've been continually working with those folks many of whom are living unsheltered and on the streets for many years. And so we work with them to get them connected to the types of resources that they need to stabilize and also to go through the application processes to be able to get benefits that they're entitled to and to apply for housing. But one of the really challenging things I think we've seen, again, since the pandemic began is how people are connected to healthcare or how they're not connected to healthcare. And we've seen a lot of people actually lose connections to health and mental health care as appointments have gone virtual or particularly at the beginning of the pandemic, emergency services are not available to handle your mental health crisis because they're dealing with the number of COVID patients that they have. We've seen challenges with people getting disconnected from care and then getting reconnected is a greater challenge. If you don't have a smartphone, if you can't do a telehealth appointment, if now you're on a waiting list to see a doctor for another three months. And so that's been part of the sort of systemic issues that people, particularly on the streets and particularly folks who've been homeless for a long time, are really facing. And that's a concern that we continue to have and something that both that we need both the city and state to be paying attention to and making sure that folks are being able to access the care that they would need for any of their other health or mental health issues besides acute issues related to coronavirus. And for people who are homeless, who live in shelters, what are the chances of them getting housing? That's a great question. It's super challenging. It takes a long time for folks to find housing once they become homeless. And this is part of why we push for housing. We also push for homeless prevention because keeping people housed is oftentimes so much easier and so much cheaper than trying to find new housing for someone who's already become homeless. When you become homeless, there's different paths out of homelessness and to become housed again, and all of them kind of pose different challenges. So one of those ways would be if you are homeless and you do have a serious mental illness or substance use disorder, you could potentially qualify for supportive housing. So you have to put in a, an application. That's a lengthy process. It could take months for that application to be processed. And then at that point, you need to start looking for units there needs to be units available for you to move into. And so that's sort of one example. Another would be, say you're a family, a mom with two kids, and you are eligible for a housing subsidy voucher to look for housing on the private market. Maybe that voucher, it will pay rent for up to a specific amount of rent. 
and you're looking on the private market and there aren't enough apartments at those rent levels. You can't find any at those rent levels. And when you do, the landlord says, no, I don't take that voucher. And they have to start from square one. So it's a real struggle. It's a challenge for everybody who's homeless to get back into the housing market and to get back into housing. And there's all sorts of barriers that are stacked up against folks. And what we try to do both individually and more broadly on an advocacy scale is make that process easier push the city, state, and federal governments to create more housing and advocate for individual families and adults on a case-by-case basis as much as we can. Mm -hmm. So for families with children, they have to move around because they're homeless, they move from shelter to shelter. How does that impact children and what are you doing to help them? It's a great question. It's really, really tough on children to be homeless for a lot of different reasons. One, as you can imagine, just the stress and trauma of becoming homeless in the first place, being displaced from a home you were in before, and now you're in the shelter system. It's not a home. You're surrounded by other folks. There's requirements for when you have to be in the shelter and appointments that you have to make. But another big challenge is, is making sure your kid's school stays consistent. And so a lot of families who have children who are in school, if they're placed in a shelter that's in a different borough than where their school was, where they became homeless, they have decisions to make. Are they going to transfer their kid to a new school that's closer to the shelter? Or are they going to do a really long commute to keep their kid at the school that they were at before? And a lot of families have to make those really tough decisions. And a lot of families choose to keep their kids stable in the school that they were in before to try to maintain consistency in their lives. But really what that means is there's a long commute. It's hard for kids to concentrate and to get schoolwork done. And since the pandemic began, we've got a whole new problem of remote learning for kids in shelters. And what we've seen is how large the digital divide is for families who are homeless. So families in shelters, oftentimes there was no access to Wi-Fi for the families who are homeless. And so now they have to get on a cell network, but what the cell network is, doesn't work or isn't strong enough to handle it, all the families that are on their remote classes at the same time. And so we've seen all these problems crop up and we work with the Legal Aid Society to file a lawsuit on behalf of homeless students to force the city to work more quickly to establish internet access for children who are homeless. And that's still, lawsuit is ongoing, but is hopefully working toward making that process move more quickly for kids who are homeless because they could lose a whole year of their education if they've been unable for months now to get online in a consistent manner. So it's just one new challenge that's been added to the long list of struggles and challenges that homeless families face. And that's been really prominent this year. And in terms of women and single mothers who were victims or are victims of domestic violence? Or how do you empower them or help them overcome these issues? One of our programs that we operate at Coalition for the Homeless is called First Step. It's a job training program. And one of the programs, the way that we operate is sort of through a cohort model. So all the, you know, it's specifically designed for homeless women and low-income women. And they start as a class together and move through the process together. And a lot of how that program is designed is to provide peer support for women who are experiencing homelessness or who are very low income, maybe who've been homeless before, to offer support to each other, to go through the process together, and to have our staff there available to help with any individual issues that they're having, in addition to helping them build up their skills for, for living wage jobs and get connected with internships 
and move on to employment that will allow them to support their families. So that's one way that we work hard to help women in particular get through the challenges that they're facing while they're homeless and to help support their families and do it in a way that really elevates their own dignity and shows them how strong they are as people. Our women come out of that program way more confident that they were than they were when they began that program. And so that's one that's really amazing. Yes. And for you, do you have a similar program to train them? Yeah. So we actually run a few programs for young people. One is an after-school program for students in a couple shelters in New York City, where we specifically help with their schooling and helping to sort of add an additional resource to their regular school day. So they're not coming home to the shelter and struggling to, to find a place to go to do their work or to concentrate. We offer a program where we have staff on site and we work with kids and we do both assistance with their regular schoolwork, but also fun, engaging learning activities as well in a group setting. That program also has changed quite a bit since the pandemic. We've been operating both remotely and we had operated outdoors as well to try to make sure that we're staying connected with those kids. And so that's one of the programs that we run specifically for kids who are homeless. Sooner or later, this eviction ban will be lifted. And what do you foresee? I mean, we're at we're at a critical juncture right now. We've got at, our best hope right now is that there will be significant action out of Washington because the resources that are available at this point at the city and state, I don't think are close to sufficient to help all of the families that are at risk of eviction in this in New York City and New York State. There's so many families that have lost income that are behind on their rent that would have been evicted already if not for the eviction moratoria that have been in place at the New York state level as well as the federal level. So what we need first and foremost is a commitment from the federal government to sufficiently fund rental assistance and rent relief for people who are facing homelessness as a result of eviction across the country. And so we had been working with some of our partners at the national level, the National Low Income Housing Coalition for example, to push the federal government to include $100 billion in the next stimulus package specifically for rent relief. And so we continue to need that. And we will continue to look for those resources at the federal government. One other thing that will be really critical that could be feasible now is the expansion of the Section 8 housing voucher program to be an entitlement. And right now, for folks who are extremely low income, who are paying more than half of their income on rent or who are behind on their rent and who would otherwise qualify for a housing voucher to look for to help subsidize their rent on the private market most families who are eligible don't get that benefit because there's not enough vouchers to go around for those who need it and so what we would like to see at the federal level is a shift toward viewing housing as a human right and providing the benefits that people need to be able to afford their rent to match the scale of the need and to provide it in a way that folks guarantee to get it if they qualify. Mm -hmm. One final question to you is how can our listeners help? Listeners can help in a variety of different ways. I mean, one thing I will say is we have a lot of information on our website, coalitionforthehomeless.org, specifically about our programs and the work that we've been doing on the advocacy front. So that's a good central resource to figure out if you're able to donate money or if you want to donate time or if you want to learn about the issues that 
or facing folks who are homeless, if you want to learn about solutions and then contact your elected officials and push for policies that are going to help us to address homelessness in New York City, you can do all of that from our website. So I think that's probably the best starting point for folks who are looking to help but are not quite sure what to do. There's both advocacy and financial support and individual support that folks can engage in there. Thank you. That is very helpful. This is a great cause that you work for, and it's a very important topic to share with our listeners. So I thank you so much for being on the show today, and good luck for 2021. Thank you so much for having me.